0: What's up, fellas? Welcome back to Convos Over Cold Brew with me, your host, Emma Abrahamson. Today we're talking to Mick Stanupsek and he was my old teammate at the University of Oregon way back in the day, a few years ago, <laughs> and now he is currently running under the same coach, Andy Powell, at the University of Washington. If you listened to the episode with Dylan Sorensen last week, we mentioned Mick at the end, and it got me thinking that I really need to have Mick on the podcast to share his story I don't want to give too much away of the story, but basically to give a little reference so that you guys will listen all the way through, he tried to walk on the University of Oregon, was cut, made the team, and eventually now he runs a 3.56 mile and is a multiple time All-American. So that is a huge summary of the story, but stay tuned for the entire story. Like It is crazy and it gets better as time goes on, so let's, let's just get straight into it. All right, Mick, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for coming on. It's been a little while since we talked. Um, I miss our conversations, but to start off, can you just give us a rundown of who you are and what you're about?
1: Yeah, um, it's been a while. It's good to talk to you again. Um, Yeah, my name is Mick Stanifsek. I'm an upcoming sixth year at University of Washington track and field. I currently currently I'm in Seattle. I previously ran at University of Oregon, where I walked on after my freshman year uh, with coach Andy Powell. Um, And through that whole process, him and I kind of got pretty close. And and that's why I followed him up to to Washington. But originally from Cleveland, Ohio, City of Champions. Uh, Need to throw that out there. Um, (laughs) And also, yeah, like half Australian. I grew up there as a kid. Um, So yeah, that's that's me.
0: I was wondering your ties to Australia, because I never really, you know, learned about that. But like, how long did you live there for, and when did you live there?
1: Really, I like have no ties. I just, I just like it, you know. <laughs> no, um, my dad is 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 born and raised there, and I have uh, quite a bit of family out there. So I lived there just for a few years as I was growing up, like when I was like one, four, and seven. Um, and I've gone back a few times, and and have some sibling siblings living there now. So yeah. oh,
0: so you definitely have ties then.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, I was just kidding. I That'd be crazy if I just, like, picked the country, and then I'm like, yep, <laughs> that's part of me now. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, so what brought you to Oregon?
1: Um, Steve Prefontaine. It's a okay. pretty, yeah, pretty easy answer. I did a book report on him in eighth grade. And, um, yeah, I think just through doing that and through learning all about Pre and, and uh, the aura around him, I definitely got sucked in. I stand super hard during high school, uh, like yeah. many of my fellow fellow high school runners, um, and yeah, I mean, I, I think I just sort of decided in, in eighth grade that I was going to go to Oregon, um, and regardless of, of whether I was fast enough, I was going to try and, try and make it on.
0: Nice, and so can you take us a little bit through, like, your running journey, like, how you got your start, and... I guess up until, like, you got to Oregon, like, can you just kind of run through that?
1: Yeah, uh, so I was slow. I wasn't, uh, (laughs) (laughs) I was, like, not, I shouldn't say that, because, I mean, you know, there's people out there It's relative, uh, it's relative. Right, it's relative, yeah. Um, But I, relative to Oregon standards, or really many D1 standards, I wasn't um, a highly sought after recruit. Um, Freshman and sophomore year of high school, I actually lived in North Carolina. Um, and I, yeah, I made it to the state meet a couple of times. Like my folks, just, we, we moved down there. Um, and then we moved back up to Cleveland again for my junior and senior year of high school. And yeah, I made, made the state meets a couple more times. I think I came, uh, third in the 1600 and fourth in the 800 at the state meet my senior year of high school. Um, and at the time my PRs were one fifty. 5, I think, and 4.15 in the mile. Um, Okay,
0: those are still pretty good.
1: Yeah, yeah, so, but that's, like, pretty late in the recruiting process. That's, like, three months from stepping onto campus. Um, Like, I guess for more context, my mile PR going into my senior year of high school, so probably uh, March of uh 2015 when I was going to be going to college in September 2015 was 435 or 434 oh, wow. so yeah I was I was a slowpoke um and <laughs> uh I yeah I mean just during that or actually it wasn't wouldn't have been March it would have been January because that that indoor season I worked really hard and I realized that um I had to um I don't know get get to work if I wanted to get coach Powell to to look at me at all as a possible walk on and so yeah I whittled that 435 down to 4 uh 24 then 419 and then outdoors I ended up getting it at 419 down to 415 um and after the state meet actually there's a uh meet called the Midwest Meet of Champions which is between Ohio uh Michigan and Indiana and I was on the and that's just for post high school runners who just finished the state meet Um, and I was on the, the alternate list for that. I didn't even like make the team for the Ohio miler team because they only choose three guys. Um, just to give you a context of how, how not, how unimpressionable I was in high school (laughs) as a runner. Um, and then, yeah, it turned out that some guy got sick, uh, who was supposed to run the 1600 at that meet. Um, so like the day or two days before that meet, I got a call from the meet director asking if I wanted to be on the 1600 meter Ohio team. So I'm like, Oh yeah, Sure. Um, and I was pretty bad in high school, as far as like like <laughs> morally I did like some questions, like i would, oh. I would start, like, get get into some like partying and stuff, and yeah, I, I just was i mean as sure hopefully some of your listeners might be able to relate to that a little bit <laughs> mischievous um, mix <Mick. laughs> a little mischievous i got it out uh I got it out of my system before I went to college, um which I think it no longer has maybe helped me, but definitely it put some pressure on on my mom's um but, yeah, I remember I, I was like at a party when he called, and it was like two days before the race, and I was not in any sort of state to be like
0: thinking oh about running or, or any of
1: that, and I'm like, and I'm like, oh, sure, and then, um, yeah, I ended up like the next day, woke up at a friend's house, drove down to Wesleyan College in Ohio, and then uh like checked into the dorms, and the next day I ran at that race, and I ended up winning in four ten somehow <laughs> holy
0: <laughs> moly Nick
1: it, it was like a huge breakout, and I remember like the team Ohio, we all getting to know each other and they're like, Oh yeah, say where are you going to college and blah, blah, blah. And I stood up and like, Oh, going to university of Oregon. Everyone's like, yeah, okay, sure. <sighs> and then I ran 4:10, and I think a couple of people may have, I may have like converted them into believers, you know?
0: Yeah. Um,
1: but yeah, so that was, that was pretty much high school. Um, actually before my senior year, I, I met coach Andy Powell for the first time because I had gone to an Oregon track camp. Um, okay. And so that's kind of where like, I got some directional um, ideas as to what sort of times I might need to run.
0: So did you have, you just like knew that you were going to Oregon? It didn't matter like if other schools were going to give you offers, you just knew that you were going to go there regardless of if you were going to make the team or not?
1: Yeah, I mean, I definitely, I, I applied to other colleges just to to see, probably more of like an ego thing, just to say that I got into some <laughs> of these colleges, you know? Yeah. Um, but I, yeah, I mean, I think my mindset in high school was, Um, you know, I'm, I'm 18 and this is the only thing I've ever wanted since I was like 12 and this is the only time I'll ever be able to actually go for that. And so why don't I just try it for a year and, and give it everything I I have. And, um, if, if I don't know, the universe wants it to be so, then it'll be so, but yeah, I mean, my mindset was, yeah, this is, this is where I'm going. This is what I've only ever wanted to do. So why not go ahead and try and do it, you know?
0: Man, that's that's a lot to do to like bet on yourself when you're that young. That that takes a lot of guts.
1: You know, Northeast Ohio. that's uh, <laughs> that like that's that grind culture. LeBron James said uh, in Northeast Ohio, nothing is given, everything's earned.
0: Oh man! All yeah. right.
1: So this is um, it's the way we're born and bred, you know, Emma.
0: Oh, I see. I I wouldn't know. You know, I I don't <laughs> think I've ever been to Ohio, but cal- maybe I you should Californians.
1: go. You Californians, Californians. Yeah. You know, too you laid back. to Magno to sur- to surfer, you know. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. What was like your fallback plan? Say it didn't work out like what what were you going to study? Like did you have any sort of other direction?
1: Um that's a good question. I I probably would have just ended up back at Ohio State and um I don't even know if I would have wanted to run anymore. Um I just was so tied to this idea of of running at Oregon that running anywhere else kind of just paled in comparison and so um, a lot of my a lot of my homies back in Cleveland used to skate, and so I probably would have just like fallen back into like skateboarding and and just going to class and being uh, I don't know being a little skate rat. <laughs> so <laughs> you would
0: you think you would have transferred back to Ohio State?
1: <laughs> yeah, there was actually a time during my freshman year at Oregon when I didn't think I was going to be able to make it, and I was filling out some transfer applications to Ohio State oh, wow. and to University of Melbourne, um, where my oldest brother went to college in Australia. So. Those are like the two other, two other options.
0: Oh my gosh, Mick, this This is so interesting to me. Like I knew (laughs) kind of like a little bit of a background about your story just from articles that were written, but man, you like really bet on yourself, but I mean, it turned out well. So now, now let's get into college. So it's your freshman year. Tell, take us through the process. You get on the campus. What happens?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I, I emailed Andy after that four ten, and he's probably just like, "This kid's still emailing me." Um, so he's like, "All right, I'll throw him a bone." And he said, "Yeah, if you're still coming to Oregon, uh, email me when you get on the campus, and and we'll meet up." And so I emailed him. We set up a time. I uh, landed in Eugene, got moved into Bean Hall. Shout out Home. to all the <laughs> Bean Hall homies. Worst worst <laughs> dorm in Oregon. Not anymore. It got re- renovated, but when I was there, it was the worst. Um, and then pardon me. He, uh, I met, met Andy in, in Bowerman and I was like shaking in my boots. I was just like so nervous. Um, cause I thought that this is it. This is like when he was going to tell me yes or no. And he ended up having me and Connor Hayward. I don't know if you recall him.
0: I, um, yeah, I think I met him.
1: Yeah. He's a super nice kid, but so he had both of us in there and, um, yeah, I think he ended up telling Connor that, the uh, uh, club team was best for him. And I think Connor ended up, uh, really enjoying that, that route. So that was good for him. And then, it was just me and Andy left in the room and I'm like, Oh man, now he's just going to like give me the slip and tell me to piss off. Um, but <laughs> no, he didn't. Uh, he, he actually, he was like really encouraging. He said, you know, like uh, like I respect the fact that you've kept in contact with me. And um, so we're going to have a tryout for you. And so he, he set up a couple of times that I would come into practice at Oregon and, and try out with the team. Um, and so I remember the first tryout that I did was like a, like a six or seven mile tempo run on pre-trail.
0: I remember too. At
1: 90. Yeah. Everyone, everyone on the team remembers that because literally that, that workout has never happened before or since. It was literally just like, I know it was like a workout that Andy chose to do just to like make sure that I wouldn't get on the team or something. I don't know.
0: No, actually we were like, oh my gosh, like this poor kid is trying out like this is cruel. (laughs) The guys have never done that long of a workout. It was so hot and it was was on pre-trail. I was like, it couldn't be any worse for this guy right now and
1: I remember like there's that you know that long part of the two and a half mile loop on Paris that you're yes. kind of like yeah you're like going down river and it's just super long and hot and I remember I was like getting dropped by like Kyle Levermore and maybe Chris Mulverhill and I was just like I had this thought in my head like I had a moment with myself where I'm like I am watching my dream run away from me oh, right now no. and it, yeah it was like really sad and I'm like this is this is like Mick you need to like do something like get out of this funk and, and crush this workout. Cause this is literally like right there is your chance to, to be a duck and it's running away from you literally. Um, but yeah, I didn't, I, I, I died hard. Legs went lactic as, as you say. <laughs> and, um, and then Andy's like, you know, don't sweat it. You still have a few more tryouts to go. And, um, I think we, I ended up having four, four or five tryouts. Um, and like two of them went well. And I think two, either two or three of them didn't. Um, and so the whole time, Andy, uh, Coach Powell, he he was talking to me through email and stuff. Um, and at one point, he said, "Yeah, I don't think we have a spot for you on the cross team, but yeah, just stay in contact with me, and, and um, yeah, maybe we can find something for you in the spring."
0: Man, yeah, that's that's so that crazy. was my fall. Yeah,
1: that, that was my fall.
0: I and then. <sighs> I remember, like, very distinctly in the winter, you working out with Sheila Reed all the time.
1: Yeah, that was cool. So then that's that's kind of actually, like, the turning point of, like, uh, there was, like, that, of the, like, the, in the movies, there's, like, the super low low, and the, that low was, uh, and I, it was a specific moment that has to do with balloons, um, of, like, the saddest moment at Oregon, um, because... I went up to Seattle to race, um, in the winter. So I was pretty much since that, since that point, I was just like running like 70 or 80 miles a week, all alone on prees, just kind of hammering it out, taking my classes. Um, very, was very driven. Um, and I thought I was in pretty good shape. So I, uh, loaded a gray, loaded my bike under a Greyhound bus and went up to race in the UW preview. Um, which is kind of funny that now that I go to UW, so it's kind of come full circle. Um, but I didn't know how far downtown Seattle was from UW. So oh, no. I like when I got off the bus, it was like 10 o'clock at night, the night before the race. And I'm like in downtown Seattle. So I like biked from like like the nine miles from downtown uphill to campus. Yeah. And uh and I remember Andy saying, Yeah, if you can, try and uh uh get some two hundreds in before the race. And like obviously, like now that I'm older, I'm like Mick. Just go to bed. You had a long day of travel, but I was like, I was young, I was impressionable, um, and so I'm like, all right, I gotta do these, gotta do these uh two hundreds. So like, I snuck into the Dempsey somehow. Like all the lights were off, and I just oh did, my like, gosh. yeah, like two two hundreds at like 11 p.m. Then like got to my Airbnb, went to bed. Next day, raced a mile like 4:20 or like 4:19 or something. Oh no. Just totally bombed it, and it was actually my birthday. Um, and so it's just like the saddest story ever. Um, and so I'm like, man, this sucks. Like I'm like thousands of mile, miles from anyone I know. And, uh, well, I obviously had some friends back on campus, but just, uh, was still developing those relationships. Um, and so I'm like, you know, I'm just going to go back down to, to Eugene. This was, this is a bus. Maybe this isn't meant to be. Um, and so I found an earlier bus cause I was going to run the 3k later that day. Um, and so I, Took the bus, uh, or took my bike back down from campus to downtown. Um, as I pull up to the bus station, the bus pulls off, so I missed that bus. Next so like, stop, it sounds like tight. I would say it started to rain just to make it like perfect, but <laughs> yeah, it didn't, didn't, luckily, it no, it didn't, it didn't rain. Um, so I just like, I went into this pub and got a burger, and I was like, just eating burger and some fries. And I looked at my watch, I'm like, well, I mean, the 3K is in like an hour and a half, so I got on my bike and I rode back up to campus. The night. <laughs> <laughs> And I'm, like, right, like saying this now, I'm, like, what the hell was I thinking? Um, so then I raced a 3K, and that was also not great. I don't think I, like, bombed as bad as you'd think. I probably ran, like, 840-something, like, not not awesome. I can't remember. Yeah. I'm sure people can look it up. But, yeah, still, still not great. So I was, like, taking off my spikes, and I sort of knew the guys on the Oregon team because I would be, like, the weird guy hanging around Hayward all the time, <laughs> oh, you know? Yeah, that yeah. That whole first year. Um, and so it was... Uh, Chris Brewer was at this meet and apparently Chris Brewer and I had the same birthday and so I was like super dejected like looking for bus bus routes on my phone as I was taking my spikes off after I bombed this 3k second race of the day that I bombed and like Chris Brewer's parents come like walking through the Dempsey doors with like a bunch of balloons and presents for him that like say happy birthday. And I'm just like, oh my God, this is so sad. And like they're like, happy birthday. And of course, like that's nice for Chris. Like it's, he's allowed to celebrate too. It's not all about me, but like I was just like a bummer, like sitting right next to him and like that happened. I'm like, all right, I'm just going to get back on my bike and go downtown again.
0: Oh my gosh. It doesn't
1: end there. So, okay,
0: keep going, keep going.
1: I, um, I got a bus from Seattle to Portland and I misread it and it only took me to Portland. And so I got into Portland at like midnight. So like my birthday is over at this point, like no, uh, no delusions of grandeur for how my birthday is going to go this year. Like it's all, it it came and went. Um, And so I didn't know how to get to, to Eugene and I was like stuck in Portland at midnight. So I posted on Craigslist like this super <gasps> sad story of like, please, it's my birthday. I just want to make, get down to Eugene. <laughs> <a kid. laughs> like willing to do anything. No, I didn't say that. But um, basically, that's probably how some people could have construed it. And I, this one woman ended up messaging me, messaging me. And she's like, hey, like, I can take you down to Eugene. Sure. And I'm like, all right, this is going to be interesting. <laughs> and she turned out to be like such a nice lady. She's like in her 30s. I can't remember her name. But we had like an incredible conversation for like two hours and like she dropped me off in my dorm at like 3 a.m. And we ended up getting coffee like a few months later or something. It was like just a really weird, super like Portland person, you know, who's just like, you know, like, yeah, why not drive this kid down and I'll personally get home at 6 a.m. Like that's probably what happened to her. But yeah, that was a it was a pretty sad, sad day. And then um, at that point, I was uh, getting back to what you said about Sheila Reed and Oregon Track Club. Um, That's when I started filling out applications to transfer because that was just such a disheartening experience um, overall from racing to birthdays and and all that. Um, And so as I was sort of looking into transferring and and possibly losing hope uh, for the first time in myself since, yeah, like seventh grade or eighth grade that this might be a thing that I do. Um, coach Powell called me and he said, come into the Bowerman. Yeah. He like asked me how the UW meets went. And I'm like, ah, you don't want to know. And he's like, okay. Uh, well, Mark Roland with the Oregon track club, uh, he needs someone to pace his women because he has this 800 woman, uh, who she's an up and comer. And at the time, uh, none of us knew who she was, but we all know her name is Francine Nianzaba now. And she's the Olympic silver medalist from Rio. Um, and, uh, Sheila Reed, those two girls need pacemakers. If you'd be willing, I'm like, Oh yeah, sure. That'd be great. And, um, that's kind of when things started to turn around for me because I, I met Mark, um, and he was super nice and he often would have me pace the entire women's workouts of like either Francine's or Sheila Reed's. Um, and, after that, he would give me like some extra, he'd throw me a bone and, and throw me a few extra reps to do. And so that's kind of when my, my training started to get a lot more regimented and, and really coached because beforehand, Andy would occasionally like send me a workout to do and I would just like repeat that workout <laughs> until oh uh, I got old. Um, and so, yeah, that this is when things sort of started to pick up and I got to like spend my days around like runners like Mac Fleet and uh, Hassan Mead and and Ben Blankenship and all these guys who I had like practically had posters of on my wall, like just nine months before I was now like showing up to practice with and occasionally I could even hop in with some of the guys once I kind of gained their trust and was a, was a good pacemaker for them. And so, yeah, that was like a super, super positive experience for me. And that kind of carried me through the spring.
0: And then after that, like, when did you officially join the Oregon team? And take us through the process of like what your thoughts were when Andy let you on the team.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, so that happened. Um, the whole spring, I ran like three forty nine, the fifteen hundred, I think, um, which wasn't good enough, or maybe three fifty. Um, and I was, yeah, again, thinking like, I'm really like looking down the barrel of failing again. There's like a ton of times throughout that whole year where, um, like failure was just kind of looming over me. Um, and luckily I I evaded it, but, um, yeah, Chris Moverhill mentioned that he was going to, who's now a good friend of mine who's on the Oregon team. He said he was going up to a, a track meet at Willamette university. Um, and he asked if I wanted to come and I didn't even think about doing that meet I said, oh, sure. So I hopped in the car with him and and went up and um, throughout the whole process, Andy pretty much told me if you can run practically a regional qualifying time in the 1500, like then I'll allow you on the team, mm-hmm. um, which at the time was around 345, 346, somewhere around there. I went up to Willamette um, and I ended up racing. And I remember that was like the first time that I didn't even race thinking about like making the team or anything. I just like had such a long journey over the past nine months that I just wanted to like go out and enjoy racing again um, and just compete and not think about time and not think about trying to run 346 just just run and I ended up coming second in the race and I ran 346 so it was like a four second PR and like I blew it out of the water and I had this like stupid smile on my face right after I finished because like I knew like I know Andy said 345, but I'm like, he cannot be that heartless to say like nope, three forty-six <laughs> doesn't count. And so I just remember there were a couple of moments over the next couple of days where just what I uh what may what may be coming towards me was really sinking in. And I remember I was taking off my spikes and I just like laid down on my back in the grass and was looking at the sky under the stadium lights, and I just was thinking like this is the closest I've ever been to, to a a dream. And it felt, I don't know, it was just so special to to think that um, I didn't, it wasn't even concerned whether Andy would would let me on the team at that point. I was just so uh, elated that I'd, I'd come so far and I had gotten so close and I was just really honored to even be um, where I was and to running, be running with the people I was running with. And I was just really, I, I had a heart full of gratitude at that point. Um, And so the next day I had to leave for uh, North Carolina because my brother was graduating from Duke. Um, And so I went to his graduation and the following day I got on a plane and I remember I was late to my plane. I was like rushing through the airport, like literally sprinting, sweating buckets, like looking nasty just to catch his flight because it was in Raleigh, North Carolina, so it was pretty humid. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, I remember I was the last person on the flight and everyone was like looking at me cause they'd been holding the plane for me and my phone went off and I took it out of my pocket and I saw a five, four, one number, which is the Eugene area code. I'm like, okay, this is weird. I like, is this it? And so I answered the call and, um, it was Andy. He says, Hey Mick, it's Andy. I'm like, Oh, Hey, how are you doing? He goes, not much. Like, where are you? I'm like, Oh, North Carolina. He goes, and he says, uh, so three forty six, huh? And I go, Oh yeah. And he goes, so you ready to be a duck. And like, I just like, I still have goosebumps thinking about it because, um, no other feeling I've ever had in my life compares to the moment he said those words. Um, and I just said, uh, more than, you know, and then he's like, all right, well, let me know when you get back to Eugene and, and come into the Bowerman and we'll, we'll do all the paperwork. Um, and I remember just sitting down in my seat and I called my mom and I told her and then as the plane took off and, and the ground kind of dropped beneath us, I just started bawling and oh my God, I, yeah. I just, I just like cried my eyes out and I just, cause I, I was just kind of coming to the realization that for the first time in my life, I achieved like a goal. Um, and I didn't move the post line. Like every time I, I would run, I always wished oh, I ran 410. I wish I ran 409 or, uh, I came, second in this race. I wish I came first. And and this was just like a solid thing that I've wanted since I was like 11 or 12 years old. And it was uh, a binary thing. Either I have it or I don't. And it was, it was really just, um, I don't know. I just equate it to like never really achieving a goal in my life. And that was the first goal that I really achieved. And it was a really hard goal. And it was like a goal that I sacrificed a lot for. I left all my friends for and, Yeah. So I just, that was just like a guttural sob and the people around me, in the plane are probably like, what the (laughs) hell is going on with this weirdo? But I just, I just let it all out. And I, I cried and I just, I couldn't believe, uh, I I honestly couldn't believe it. And in those, those words, are you ready to be a duck? Just rung in my ears for a little while. And then, yeah, I remember going into practice and, uh, the next day at the Bowerman and everyone was kind of giving me pats in the back and stuff. And it really felt like I had made it at that point.
0: Oh my God, Nick! I literally have chills. I'm not <laughs> even kidding I have chills oh. and I'm like smiling behind my microphone right now. Oh thanks. that thanks. is like gosh, there's literally no better feeling than accomplishing a goal like that like i don't i honestly personally, I don't know how you stayed strong through all of those like super dramatic times like after the Dempsey situation, I don't know how like you kept going like yeah that.
1: and it was it was it was made a lot more emotional by the fact that um. Um, We had like some family issues um, with like my dad. My dad was was kind of taken away from us for a little while, and uh, he's back now. But it was just kind of like a lot of struggling through, particularly like high school and that first year of college. Um, And uh, a lot of my family thought I was maybe um, was a bit I don't know capricious or something to try and go after this just because I like Steve Prefontaine. Um, But I don't know. They they did believe in me and to i don't know just kind of prove myself and i don't know it just seemed like the ultimate test i guess
0: yeah well you passed so that is i oh Oh, my gosh (laughs) nick this is like literally my favorite story in the entire running world
1: oh please no i'm not kidding
0: it really is like
1: a lot of good good stories out there
0: i know i know has
1: has matt sensuitz told you about when he almost got mauled mauled by a dog on a run because that's that's a pretty that's a pretty good story too
0: oh i'll ask him next time i see him i'll hit him up with Right. It, I dogs.
1: think it. I think it rivals.
0: <laughs> okay, I don't know. I got chills in this one. So oh, thanks. Okay, well now now you're at Oregon, and now yeah. there's a big difference from walking on to becoming an all-American. Mm-hmm. So there's a big mindset shift. I feel like it needs to happen. Like, take mm-hmm. us through the process of you know just barely making the team, and and then becoming an all-American.
1: Um, yeah, I mean you mentioned that there's a big mindset shift um i think for me there there really wasn't a huge mindset shift and i think um, that's kind of what uh helped with my success when i got to oregon is the fact that i sort of still had this walk-on mentality i guess and i still yeah. had a, a bit of a chip on my shoulder like i knew a lot of my fellow runners um on the team as much as i respected them and i and uh i end up loving all those guys uh, like i knew they may have had not necessarily the the most uh bumpy road like I did to get to where I was. And so yeah. I was just I definitely was out to prove something. Um and at the same time I there was this lingering feeling that followed me throughout uh my first year at Oregon that like I sort of almost didn't belong or I was uh I don't know I was um like a false like a I just wasn't I don't know, I wasn't really supposed to be there, I guess. Yeah. Um and I remember that sort of accumulated in those feelings accumulated uh at Penn Relays my my first year Andy like shocked me by telling me that he was going to take me to Penn um and he's going to have me run the 4 by mile and the 800 like of the DMR um and I'm like oh god are you sure <laughs> and he was sure and he took me um and I remember the first day there's like thousands of people in the stands and the second day there's like literally like because USA races, Jamaica, like 20,000 screaming Jamaicans, just like in your face. And it's like awesome. And they love track and field and they're super knowledgeable about the sport. Um, and so it's just a super intense feeling. And I just like the entire time I was there, I just felt like I was an imposter because I had seen like Ed Cesarek and Eric Jenkins and all these like great runners at Oregon before me who are representing Oregon at this like super, uh, high, high level. And, and I felt like, what the hell, like a year ago, I was, like biking through Seattle to get some meets. And like, I just didn't feel like I was totally there. And, and we ended up winning both the DMR and the mile, four by mile there. And I think that was kind of a point where um, that was a part of a mindset shift where I'm like, okay, like maybe I actually really do deserve to be here. And, and maybe this isn't just like some some lucky thing that happened to me. Um, but yeah, I mean, I the, the, throughout that whole first year, I just kept trying to to prove myself and to prove that I belonged. Um, on the team and um, that I can contribute. And I just wanted to, to help the team as best as I could. And uh, when coach Powell told me that he's going to let me on the team, I remember telling him very, vivid, uh, very, very vividly. I remember telling him like, I will do like literally anything you need me to do to help with the team. Like if you want me to run at NCAA cross, and just pace the first 5K as hard as I possibly can, just for Ed, and then drop out and die. Like that's fine. I'll do that. Or like <laughs> if you want me to, like just pace every race for this first year or first two years or whatever. Just yeah, just like however I can help make this program successful. I'll do that, and and I'll make myself useful. And so I was just very determined to, uh, in some way, just make myself useful and to to give Coach Powell the best argument uh, for keeping me on the team. Like I didn't want to make it hard for him. Uh, and Coach Johnson, uh, I didn't want them to ever have a conversation like, "Should we keep this walk on around?"
0: Man, Mick, oh, yeah. you're such I a good teammate. It.
1: Oh gosh,
0: please. I literally like well, this is blowing my that. mind.
1: I never ended up doing any of those things, really. So oh, okay, <laughs> I'm not, well like, you, man, a teammate. I'll talk.
0: Okay. <laughs> <Shut> <laughs> we know that you would do it in a heartbeat if, <laughs> if Andy asked you to. I would, yeah. Um, so like, what was your first goal once once you got on the team? Because I feel like when you have a goal, like just to make the team mm-hmm. for your entire life and then you accomplish it, like what is next? You know, I'm sure you had to sit down with yourself and be like, okay, now I'm here. Like, what, what do I want to accomplish for the next four or five or six years that I'm in the NCAA? What was the first goal that you had?
1: Yeah. Um, first goal is that I wanted to make, uh, I wanted to run at Pac 12s at Cross. Um, and that didn't happen. Um, I just, I, that was probably like my first failure on the team is that I, um, didn't really produce any, any magnificent results throughout that cross season. Um, but that's okay because I remember I still got like goosebumps when we were at Sun River training camp and Andy, like after the long run, we were jumping in the river and Andy's like, Hey Mick, um, like make sure you bring your singlet to Eugene cause you're going to race. And I'm like, you mean in the varsity race? And then I remember Ryan Gill was there and he was just like laughing at me. He's like, What do you mean the varsity race? It's those A V races. This is like an NCAA. And then he's like, Yeah, the varsity race. And I'm like, oh my <laughs> God. Like I'm racing in the first cross country meet uh, for Oregon. And um so yeah, I mean I I at first it was just like just a race. And then it was and it, it sort of I don't think there was ever one moment where I just like sat down and was like, these are what I'm going for next. I think it was each season. I just kind of took it season by season um, because it was like so much to take in. It was so different. It was so much more racing that I was doing and um, a lot more maybe attention to each race. Um, And so then the next thing was I wanted to, I I knew I wanted to be in the DMR at NCAAs and uh, I ended up running 148. Uh, on a dmr like that indoor season and so i i earned my spot there and that was like another moment throughout that first year on the team of just disbelief as i was packing for the ncaa championships because yeah like i said just a year before i was um i was really hurting for uh for a spot on the team and then just a year later packing up to to represent the ducks at ncaa's and it is
0: really hard to get on, like, a relay team at Oregon, yeah. at NCAAs. There, it, there's a lot of people vying for that position. So to make it your first year is very impressive.
1: I I appreciate that. Thank you. Um, and so, yeah, that was uh, that was a goal achieved. And then Outdoors came around, and um, Penn Relays wasn't even on my radar because I didn't think I'd be selected for that, uh, for that team. Um, so then when that came and went, I'm like, okay, now it's time for uh, – Pack 12s. So let's try and let's try and win Pack 12s. I I remember thinking and talking with Coach Powell, and he th- thought that the 800 meters was particularly not part- not particularly competitive that year. Um, and we thought that I might be able to win it, and it was at Hayward, so it could be at home, and so there's a lot of pressure there. Um, just like coming from, yeah, from where I was to, to racing Pac-12s at, at Hayward. I Fort can't Oregon. even imagine. <laughs> and, and coach Powell telling me that I might be able to win it. <laughs> um, and I'll never forget this race because that's like the most stern coach Powell has ever been with me after oh. a race because I made the final, uh, no worries. And then the next day, um, he told me, Mick, wait till 80 meters to go. And with 80 meters to go sprint and you will win if you wait till 80 like of course right but like (laughs) coach coaching how to run (laughs) Um, so he's like yeah if you just wait till 80 you will win um and I remember just that freshman brain redshirt freshman brain uh with like 250 to go I'm like oh we're cruising I can win this like right now oh no 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 shot to the lead with 200 meters to go opened up like a two meter gap that was eviscerated like three seconds later and I came fourth and then Coach Powell like just put his arm around me after the race. He's like, "So, uh, so yeah. I mean, if you don't want me to coach you, that's fine. Like, <gasps> it, it seems like you it seems like you're doing fine coaching yourself." And like he just gave me a hard time, which I I certainly needed to have. And um, I think that's actually cultivated a relationship between Coach Powell and I that has been the reason why I've been able to to run successfully up into this point. Is that he's he's kind of been hard on me, and I think that that's particularly what I need in running is um I don't know just sternness and and high expectations and he had that for me and so he 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 let me know after that race and he, and then after like he sort of chewed me out for a bit he's like all right put your spikes on you're running the four by four and I'm like oh God oh, no. No. And, I, and like I didn't even know what I split. All I know is that I like did I lost a lot of ground for our team and in front of Hayward And, like, as I finish, I walk up to Sam Prekel and Tim Gorman and they're just, like, smiling at me, like, do you want to know what you split? And I'm like, "Oh no, no. (laughs) No. So I'm not going to tell anyone what I split. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And then, yeah, then I wanted to make NCAAs. Um, Like I said, it was just sort of goals and phases. Um, Just trying to prove myself and try and, I don't know, align my goals with everyone else's on the teams. I I didn't know why I should have any different goals than... Um, the best guys on our team Um, I thought maybe the point of me being there is is that I I should have those goals and so I wanted to make NCAAs and um, I fell short there I uh, made the regional final and I remember it was in Austin Um, if you remember that that was oh
0: I remember Mick I remember (laughs) that was
1: that was rough and it was like what was it like was it was it 200 or 300 degrees I, can't I don't remember. know
0: might be 250 probably yeah, two, yeah
1: we'll put the difference so it was 250 degrees and the humidity was a thousand percent I think and <laughs> and I remember all of us like like one through 12 in this 1500 meter uh regional final like came with 400 meters to go with all within a second of each other and I think oh, we no. all split like 52 or something for our last lap or 53 because we were just jogging before then Um, and yeah, like nothing changed and got bumped out. And so I was disappointed, but, um, I don't know, like just overall, I was, like I said, I was just, my heart was filled with gratitude for every, every chance that I got. And I think I, I earned another year and yeah, then, then, um, I, I, I I was all American too for the DMR. And so I got that under my belt and yeah, things just sort of snowballed from there.
0: And this is a kind of off-topic. Well, not really. I mean, it still is aligned with running. But I think I was in – I was at the Dempsey this year when you ran – you were, like, the 100th person to – two, Or was 200th person to break four in the mile?
1: Yeah. You know what? That is actually, like – I just thought about it now. That's so perfect because balloons in the Dempsey were like the saddest oh top of that story. And then, yeah, this past indoor season, I got balloons in the Dempsey for going to four, sub four for the 200th time at the Dempsey. So, wow. Thank you oh for enlightening gosh. me on that.
0: Full circle. See, balloons, yeah. I think they are balloons. significant to you. Anytime yeah. balloons are around you, you need to be a little bit weird, just... you know?
1: I just like my eyes rolled to the back of my head and I, I just have like this PTSD moment I guess yeah.
0: um t- so take us through the first time you broke four in the mile
1: yeah um that was my second year at Oregon um and I remember that was an interesting day as well because uh we were in New York uh which is always like the funnest trip that we took outside NCAAs for for indoor track Definitely. um yeah so no more Dempsey for us we 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 flew straight to the Big Apple to take it on, and we had a DMR the first night, and I absolutely bombed on the 800 meter leg, and I like ruined our chances. Like that was supposed to be our shot to to get a top 12 time for NCAA's, and I think I ran like 150 or 151 or something, and it was not great. Um, and it put us on the bubble, and it was definitely like I think for Coach Pal and myself a disappointing result. Um, and then I was in. Like a morning heat of the mile the next day, and uh, I remember we didn't get back to the hotel until like eleven thirty p.m. or something. It was
0: so late, it was
1: super late. And I remember, yeah, Coach Powell. Like I said, we have a relationship where he uh, goes a little a little tougher on me, and I, I appreciate it, and I I let him know that I appreciate it, and so <laughs> sometimes it it like. Doesn't work out to my benefit all the time yeah, because like yeah. we get there and he like we're both disappointed in my 800 performance for the DMR and I said I'm like oh yeah do you mind like my race is at I think I race at like 10 a.m. tomorrow but the only charter bus going out uh to the to the armory is at six I think or six thirty so I'm like do you mind if I like take an Uber at like eight thirty just so I can sleep in a bit more because I haven't gotten dinner yet and he goes no get on the bus I'm like oh all right <laughs> so case closed. And so I remember that night uh, I got dinner, I think, with Ed Cesarek and my parents and myself. And I remember it was just like a lovely dinner where I just like wasn't even thinking about racing and I was just kind of enjoying um, yeah the company. And we had a, a lovely dinner and went to bed probably at like 1 a.m. Um, and I tossed and turned. So I probably didn't fall asleep until 2. And I woke up four hours later at 6. And yeah, hopped on the bus. And I'm like, man, am I supposed to... Run a race right now? Like, or what the? <laughs> it was hell? so early. It was, it was so, so early. early. I remember we all went to Starbucks and we got like, that was like the only breakfast we could find around there were like just those bodegas, which were like nasty as hell, or <laughs> Starbucks. So, like, we all swarmed to Starbucks and I took like a nap underneath the stands at the armory because I still had like four hours until I raced. Um, but I mean, the goal remained the same. I, I, I truly believe that I, I, I could run under four minutes, um, despite my PR being four oh two at the time. Um and Cooper tier and Reed Brown were both in that race as well. And if I recall correctly, that was the first time Cooper's gone under four as well. And that was the second I think time. It was. Reed. Yeah. Baby Reed. And so um the plan was that Cooper was gonna take it with I, I was gonna take us through um a pacer was going to take us through a K, and I was gonna be right on the pacer, and then I was gonna Uh, keep leading until Cooper would help out for like the last 300 meters. Um, And I remember the pacer was on perfect. I think we were like two minutes or maybe 159 or something like that. Uh, And the pacer stepped off and I kept leading. And I realized very quickly that Cooper wasn't uh, unfortunately going to be able to come up and help with the pacing. And Andy made that very clear on the sidelines. He's like, you got to do, you got to do this. It's just you, you got to go. And so uh, I just sort of, I kept pushing and my folks were in the crowd. Um, and I had some cousins from New York, uh, who were there as well. And, um, I remember with 300 meters to go, I was hurting really bad, but I just distinctly just had a flashback to some rainy 300 meter repeats on Hayward. And I just thought to myself, like, I, I do 300 meter repeats when I'm tired all the time. Like I can do this right now. And, um, I ended up yeah finding another gear and I think I, I, I ran three fifty seven. Um and I I won the it was my first collegiate win, um and then Cooper and Reed both went three fifty nine so that was awesome so three ducks under four minutes in that race and that was pretty magical um I didn't uh I I don't know like I say that I thought I was ready to run under four minutes but um I don't know that's probably that was probably like a false confidence that I had um, man
0: and three fifty seven yeah. that's not just breaking four minutes that is demolishing four oh, minutes I blew
1: it out of the water <laughs> I I ruined it. I ruined yeah. it for everyone else.
0: Yeah, you really did. You made <laughs> everyone else look slow, Mick, because no, we no. had 357.
1: But, yeah, so that was that was pretty uh, – another surreal moment just to have my folks in the crowd and, and to win that race and and Coach Powell yelling at me with 100 meters to go, saying that I was going to do it. And so, yeah, it, it was special.
0: Yeah. Oh, I remember that day, too. Oh, Mick, uh-huh. this is bringing uh-huh. me flashbacks. Men's. But, <laughs> I think I got last in that race, but I was living <laughs> precariously through you, Mick.
1: <laughs> oh, you're welcome. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay well we're getting to the end of the episode now but I-, I just love your story i mean i could i feel like i could ask you questions all day long but-
1: appreciate it also i have what? a question for you should oh, no. i have been drinking cold brew this whole time or
0: um but, well it- since it's five fifteen, i don't think you need to okay um, good
1: right, i'll forgive well,
0: you this time but maybe have some tomorrow morning i
1: feel like the world should know that Cold brew isn't actually being consumed during this conversation.
0: No, I know some. Well, some people do. Some okay. people do. Right. Dylan That's did enough. last week, so fair enough. I wasn't though. No, I wasn't. So all right. So for people like you that have this dream of running at, we didn't really talk about U Dub, but mm-hmm. I guess let's let's touch on U Dub for a little bit. We might go a little bit longer today, but I'm curious. Yeah, all right. So <laughs> yeah, all right. Yeah. All right. Um. So. When Andy decided that they were gonna move, um, him and his wife Marisa, who was the women's coach, when they were moving to UW, like was it? Did you even have any thoughts that you were gonna stay at Oregon, or were you? Did you just know that you were gonna follow them there?
1: Yeah, no, I mean that was like a sleepless summer. Um, I had no idea what I should do. I think I was torn because um, I, I, yeah, I had this dream to run at Oregon. Oregon, um, but I had forged this really close bond with Coach Powell, and I knew that he was like just an like a stand up guy and. He was a coach that like, he was the reason why I was at Oregon because he, he totally could have, like I mentioned, he totally could have just said, piss off in that first meeting, but he didn't, he like, he, I think he saw something in me. And, um, so I, I just like, I conferred with like Trevor Dunbar and like Sam Prakow and like all these people in the running world, um, who, who knew Andy and had run at Oregon to try and figure out how to make this decision. Um, and then. I don't know. It just kind of came back to like Steve Prefontaine. And I just thought about, I tried to think about what he would do in this, in this scenario. And, um, I I firmly believe that he always did things his own way and he preferred to blaze his own path. Um, and I knew that he had a a really good relationship with his coach, Bill Dellinger. And, um, I've heard stories about how he would, he would do anything for Bill. Um, and loyalty was, was, um, something that he appreciated. So, yeah, I mean, I think it just sort of boiled down to trying to do something my own way and and trust Coach Powell because he trusted me and and gave me the opportunity gave me the opportunity to run as a duck and um, I don't know it just I, I it just felt right and it still feels right and I'm I'm still very happy that I I made this decision um, I appreciate. Uh, everything that Oregon gave to me and I had an ad professor actually at the in the advertising school who he was a guy who like came up with the phrase once a duck always a duck um and so like I I I firmly believe that um but also like I'm I'm just so proud to be a Husky and to to wear the purple and gold and I think I don't know I just I just trust coach Powell so much um I I firmly believe he's the best coach in the NCAA and I think he's a world world world-class coach he's had like two milers run three fifty and three forty nine while coaching them. Um and yeah, I mean I think it was just kind of betting on myself for the next chapter. I did the collegiate chapter and I guess in a way I sort of take uh my UW chapter as uh preparations for for running post Um because that's kind of the vibe that we have up here in Seattle is uh like a professional a professional group almost.
0: Yeah. So what, what is next for you? I mean, you're going to complete your year at UW and then what, what do you want to accomplish after that?
1: Yeah, I have this master's program that I'm going to do since uh, COVID blew up this year. I'm going to um, yeah run my last outdoor season, I decided. Um, and then after that, um, I'm not thinking too much about that. That's it's funny because we've been talking a lot about goals and, and, uh, how my goals constantly were changing throughout this whole process of walking on at Oregon and coming to Washington um but I think one of the biggest ways I've developed and matured as a runner is that um I'm not so fast to set goals like I want to run professionally or I want to get a Nike contract or an Adidas contract or on or whatever it might be um I'm just very content with my only goal being I want to run to my potential um and that's kind of a nice goal because it's so fluid and uh it doesn't have a necessarily a solid endpoint. And so, yeah, right now I'm just trying to run to my potential. And uh, if it ends up, I get a contract running, then um, that's another dream uh, that I'll get to live and enjoy and be grateful for. Um, And if my potential doesn't quite get me there, then I'll I'll keep working to to fulfill that dream.
0: Oh my gosh, Mick! this, I think this has to be my, the best podcast so far not just sh- you say not- that to everyone <laughs> i don't i don't like i i feel like i have said it in the past but this one i feel like will change people's like perspective on running and change people's lives and like running running wise uh, i don't know such. about
1: lives yeah but hopefully well, like does, running uh... careers
0: like running careers i think it will i mean it just shows like the true tenacity that you have and it, it has seriously inspired me like as an athlete over the years just like getting to know you and now I mean today just hearing like the whole full story it it is really really inspiring so thank
1: you yeah I mean if if like I don't know I really do hope that um some high school runners uh just I don't know don't give up on themselves because there's literally like no different there's no difference between uh, me being a 435 miler going into senior year and any other 435 miler like there's nothing inherent about me that that meant for this to happen um Aside from the fact that I, I just refuse to I don't know, give up and so hopefully um if anyone listens to this then they'll they'll uh take that message. I don't know. Like it's it's literally that whole that banal platitude of like, um, you can achieve anything you put your mind to is very much true. Um and I don't know, you just have to have the tenacity to keep putting your mind to it, you know.
0: Do you have any quotes that you live by like day to day? It seems like you you're kind of a quote guy.
1: Um Let's see. Uh, Let me think. I don't know. I mean, like, of course, to give anything less than your best is to sacrifice a gift. That's a quote that um, has changed, like the meaning from, I I think about it a lot. And I have that poster on my wall right now. And um, I don't know, that's that's just such a a multi-purpose quote. It can mean so many different things, you know, praise, a bloody guru. So that's that's probably a quote that I, I appreciate a lot. Um and then also there's that whole uh credo Jack London's credo um I can read that for you if you'd like cuz I have it with me
0: I don't I'll even take... know what that is but
1: it's like a poem that Jack Lund- or yeah Jack London wrote
0: Okay go ahead
1: All right uh let me find it I hear All you right.
0: flipping the pages <laughs>
1: <laughs> Yeah we're getting like this SMR is that what it is SMR ASMR ASMR just like
0: paper. ASMR reading here we go <laughs> All
1: right i would rather be ashes than dust i would rather that spark burn out in a brilliant blaze than it should be stilled by dry rot i'd rather be a superb meteor every atom of me magnificent glow than a sleepy and permanent planet the proper function of man is to live not to exist i shall not waste my days trying to prolong them i shall use my time and so that's like something that i don't know i try to live by
0: oh my god nick i'm about to go for a bike ride i'm gonna go so hard like i'm Yeah, get I'm gonna. It. I'm literally gonna go get after it after this podcast. This is so inspiring. Wonderful. Um, well, to close out the podcast, where can people follow you and see your journey?
1: Uh yes. Um. Well, my Instagram is it used to be mixed Anna, but now it's Juice Meister. Uh, don't ask. And it's I'm not going ju- to. All right, it's J U I C E M E I S T E R underscore or is that yeah underslash or whatever. Underscore, yeah. Um, yeah, and then my Twitter is Mick Stana. I think there's like an underscore in between Mick and Stana, S-T-A-N-A. Um, and yeah, and LinkedIn, if you want to get professional with it. I'm on we LinkedIn get as well get little connections <laughs> on there. Yeah, networking. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs>
0: awesome well thank you so much for taking the time to come on the podcast everyone go give mick a follow and i'm sure everyone that listens to this will be rooting for you and are inspired by your story so thank you again for coming on
1: well yeah i'm grateful for the opportunity and yeah i'm proud of this empire that you this social media empire that you've built emma
0: Empire. i
1: love it i love it
0: well on that note um can we get a can we get a good old peace out fellas to close out the pod all right
1: peace out fellas
0: Thank you guys so much for listening to today's episode of Convas Over Cold Brew. This week's shout-out goes to Sam C. Thank you so much for supporting the podcast. I give one of my supporters a shout-out in every single episode, so it means a lot to me and it really helps the podcast. If you support through the Anchor platform, the link is in the show notes. It's basically a monthly donation of 99 cents a month, 4 dollars or 9 dollars So if you really like the podcast, that helps me out so much to keep this podcast going because... I just want to keep growing it, and I really appreciate all the support that you've given me so far. And one of the free ways that you can show support is just by rating and reviewing the podcast on Apple Podcasts. That actually helps me out so, so much in growing the podcast. I love hearing your guys' feedback in the reviews, and it's a super easy and free way to help the podcast. If you like listening to it every week, that means a lot. Also, just telling your friends about it, spreading the word. The goal I have with the podcast is basically just to share people's stories. Like, I love listening to people's stories in the running world and beyond. I'm definitely going to expand eventually, but. Getting my friends on the podcast and sharing their amazing stories, it's just been so great so far, and I'm really glad that you guys have resonated with them or appreciated them. Thank you guys so much for listening again, and I will hear from you guys in the next one. Peace out, fellas.